Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Theories last and endure is because there's always sort of these weird little side things going on where you think, well, it could actually be plausible after all, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, one of the biggest uh, questions that I had, because uh, you, you compiled a lot of information into this book, it's basically just an encyclopedia f- for uh, conspiracy theories, correct? Yeah, it's sort of like a 400 page book, um, as I said uh, you know, at the beginning, sort of going back a couple of thousand years to when you had sort of conspiracies and cover-ups in biblical times, um, right through to things like, uh, was there a conspiracy concerning the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, who was shot the Ripper, uh, did Hitler survive the war, and then latter-day things like Perry 51, Roswell, yeah, um, even the uh, Edward Snowden story and, you know, missing aircraft, things like that. So um, I've sort of tried to cover all the various conspiracy theories and major cases, um, but do so in sort of a balanced fashion and present both sides of the argument and then try and figure out if there is a conspiracy, how far does it extend, you know, or is it sort of a, you know, a smaller conspiracy than people believe, you know. So it's not, it's not hopefully like some rabid tinfoil hat look at conspiracy <laughs> theories, you know. It's more of hopefully a balanced look at the subject. Now, this particular topic I'm about to ask you about is one that Justin and I have come across many, many times uh, over the years, I think, uh, that we've been doing the radio show. But Genesis, Genesis 6 tells us that the sons of God had relations with the women of the earth, which ended up producing a race known as the Nephilim. Yeah. Now, there, yeah, now, there's a number of possibilities regarding what or who the sons of God were, and you know, it seems that you do cover this subject in the book. So can you tell us a little bit about this? Well, yeah, I mean, this sort of gets into uh, sort of a wider, bigger picture of the idea that, you know, in the distant past, ancient extraterrestrials visited the Earth, and that these events have been um, interpreted by the people of that era as being uh, sort of visitations from gods, essentially, or, or angels or something like that. Um, but other people, obviously, have perceived today, um, well, it could, it could have been early visitations from extraterrestrials, but the people of that era didn't really have a full understanding of what was going on and what these things were, and they put their own sort of spin on it, you know, the idea of the Nephilim. And um, I I think it's interesting that, um, you know, you can look at it from different perspectives. I mean, um, somebody of a religious persuasion interprets it as the Bible tells it. Um, But, you know, for me, I I think it's fascinating that you can look at a lot of these cases, particularly from biblical times, and you really can interpret them from a perspective of, well, that actually sounds like a craft coming down. And, you know, this whole issue of these paranormal entities, whatever the Nephilim really were, you know, actually being able to to sort of, you know, make with um, human women, it almost parallels today's cases of alien abduction, you know, when you talk about sperm and eggs and hybrids and, um, in other words, not a great deal has changed in terms of the nature of the phenomenon in the sense 
sense that something from somewhere else interacts with us that is superior to us technologically wise um, and uh, has the ability to sort of crossbreed with us you know not much has changed it's just the the interpretation and, and I think when he gets into the conspiracy angle you know there's the issue of sort of ancient religious texts being deliberately rewritten and parts left out and removed you know to create a specific image which may not have been the original image and I think you know that gets also gets to the heart of conspiracy theories is how, how do you make sure that a conspiracy theory endures well you manipulate history you change history you rewrite it and um and you know and we know that has happened with numerous religious texts particularly when you know materials left out and it's translated from one language to another and it's reinterpreted and so it's very difficult to understand you know where we're visited by sort of supernatural entities from heaven or wherever or was it a distortion of somebody thinking, well, this planet's ripe for genetic manipulation and um, we're going to do it, you know? Hmm. Well, thank you. Uh-oh. Are you there, Justin? I'm here. Um, give me one second. Actually, I think this is a good chance for us to go to Eric's random fact. And uh, we will be right back. Now, Eric's random facts of the day. The following comes from jfklibrary.org. Did you know that while Kennedy was serving in World War II as commander of the PT-109, his boat was hit by a Japanese destroyer, and his crew was stranded in the Solomon Islands? Lieutenant John F. Kennedy carved his coconut shell with a message and gave it to two natives to deliver to the PT base at Rendova so he and his crew would be rescued. He later had that coconut shell encased in wood and plastic, and used it as a paperweight on his desk in the Oval Office. The message carved under the coconut shell reads, Noro Isle, Commander, Native Nose Posit, He Can Pilot, Eleven Alive, Need Small Boat, Kennedy. folks welcome back to paratruth radio my name is justin and i'm eric all right uh, nick are you still with us yes i am yeah oh, okay i think we lost you for just a second so um no. uh we were uh just discussing a little bit about some of the uh the, the biblical parts of conspiracy theories uh one question that i had to to go away from the biblical for a second uh is uh 
there's a bunch of different conspiracy theories in here that uh, I grew up learning about, and one of them that always fascinated me was the JFK conspiracy. Mm. Uh, what did you come across for that? Well, yeah, I think the JFK one is interesting, but it's also you know, baffles and frustrates a lot of people because you have so many strands. You know, we have Lee Harvey Oswald as the, you know, the lone gunman scenario, which was the official verdict of the, the Warren Commission. But then when you look into it further, you find a lot of the, the people involved or reportedly, you know, surrounding people like Oswald were linked to all sorts of sort of intriguing bodies, you know. And so, in other words, it implicates like the Mafia, the Cubans, the CIA, the Russians, and the problem is, of course, when you see all these different strands, and they all seem in some way or another to play a part, it actually makes trying to resolve it even more difficult because it's not black and white, and I think that's what's frustrated and prevented the answers from being forthcoming because it's not just an either-or situation when you've got multiple players. And I think my best guess or estimate, if you like, is I don't think Lee Harvey Oswald was the patsy that he claimed to be. I think Oswald was involved, but I think he didn't realize he was going to be made the fall guy. He was going to be made like the lone gunman. I think he was part of probably a team that was involved to varying degrees, you know, in, in wanting the president gone, and he thought he was going to, you know, what, sort it out of there, and probably uh, arrangements would be made, would be made for him to sort of move on to somewhere else and start a new life. And then at the last minute, he realised he was being set up after, you know, the shooting. But what I, my personal view is that if you look back at that particular period, there were a lot of people who did not like Kennedy. You know, the Russians, the Cubans. Uh, the Mafia, you know, the Texas business people. And I think the reason why we see all these strands of different agencies and people involved is that I think there was almost like a, a cabal of people got together who normally you wouldn't expect would cross paths, but they all had this vested interest in seeing Kennedy gone. And it may have been that kind of situation where, hey, you know, you provide this, we'll provide that, this a people, this agency or whatever will you know, provide the cover and the getaway. And they, as I said, normally they would not cross paths, but on something like this, it was like a vested combined interest in getting him gone. And also, by combining their efforts and manpower and everything else, it was pretty much ensured to happen. So I think that's probably my closest approximation, is that it wasn't one person or one agency. It was a group, like a cabal, who said, you want him gone, we want him gone. Let's just get it done, you know. Right. Well, uh, one thing that I read in the book um, is that uh, supposedly the the kill shot supposedly might have came from a secret serviceman. Um, yeah. What can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, that's actually an interesting theory. Um, and, you know, I guess in one sense it has data in its favor in the sense that, um, you know, the the author who wrote about it, Bonar Manager, um, you know, made it look plausible. But th the only thing that to me makes it not plausible is the fact that it requires two people 
completely separate to have delivered headshots to the president within seconds of each other and being totally unconnected. Now, that's not to say that things like that are impossible, but basically, the story um, that was told by this guy, by, uh, by our manager, he wrote a book called Mortal Error, The Shot That Killed JFK. And he talks about how that, yes, um, Lee Harvey Oswald did shoot the president um, from the sixth floor window in the book depository. But amid the chaos, you know, when the, the first couple of shots were fired, but um, what happened was that George Hickey, who was a uh, Secret Service agent in the car behind, the story that manager presents is that um, Hickey had his rifle and... Uh, lost his balance and dispatched a bullet, which he also hit Kennedy in the in the head. Um, and so the story is that you know there, there were actually two shooters, which would explain the you know some of the anomalies. And the story from there that he talks about is the whole thing being covered up for fear of people realizing that a disastrous accident involving the sale of the Secret Service led to the killing of the president. Now, as I said, you know. On the one hand, you can imagine occasionally somebody mistakenly discharges a weapon. But why I don't think this theory, to me at least, has merit. Now, a lot of people do think it's an interesting, plausible theory. The only reason I don't is because I just find it a little bit too unlikely that, you know, that Kennedy would, excuse me, that was Oswald would shoot him in the head first, and then seconds later, albeit by mistake, Hickey would also shoot the president in the head. You know, it's, it's like with those million to one chance things, but right. million to one chance things do occasionally happen, and that's why the story sort of still endures. Hmm. <clears throat> now, I'm just going to come right out front with this one. Uh, the majority of all my questions are all going to be based off the Bible. <laughs> Um, now, I've heard people claim, and I, I've heard this time and time again, uh, that Ezekiel's vision in Ezekiel 1 isn't really a vision of God, but instead possibly a vision of extraterrestrial life or aliens. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that for us? Well, yeah, I mean, so there's no doubt that the, um, the story of Ezekiel is one that ancient astronaut proponents really do sort of, you know, reinforce when it comes to arguing that um, mm -hmm. we were visited by extraterrestrials in the distant past rather than gods. And certainly, you know, Ezekiel's story is a fascinating one. There's, you know, there's absolutely no doubts whatsoever. And um, the story actually, you know, goes right back to the Old Testament and um, tells of this bizarre encounter that, um, that Ezekiel had. And... Um, uh, for those who don't know, you know, people talk about Ezekiel, but, you know, people don't really talk much about who he is or who he was, I should say. Mm -hmm. He's actually the son of, what we know about him, he's, he's sort of limited, but he was the son of a man named Boozy, who was born into an upper-class Jewish family um, in a place called Anathoth. And um, he was someone who, I guess, you know, if he hadn't talked about this experience, we would, wouldn't really know about it. But what he basically said, and this is sort of quoting now, he said... Uh, when he was out in the desert, he said, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a great cloud and a fire unfolding itself, and a brightness was about it, and out of the mist thereof, as the colour of amber, out of the mist of the fire. Also out of the mist thereof came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. 
So, in other words, he talks about this whirlwind, this bright light, some sort of object, the color of amber, and fire, which, you know, could have been propulsion or something like that. And he said out of the midst of it came these four humanoids. So, and also if you look at the location, you know, the desert location, this is something that we very often get in today's UFO encounters. People have classic sightings of UFOs and humanoids in desert encounters, you know, California desert, Arizona, New Mexico, things like that. And um, so in that sense, when you look at it, you know, you can sort of put a, again, like a, with the Nephilim, you can put an extraterrestrial spin on it. Um, and certainly a man named Joseph Blumrich, who wrote a book called The Spaceships of Ezekiel, um, actually ironically got into this from a skeptical perspective. But when he began to um, research the story of Ezekiel, he began to realize or conclude that what Ezekiel seemed to be describing was some sort of craft and a landing vehicle, <coughs> excuse me, not unlike the sort of things that he was working on with NASA, you know, for, for manned missions to the moon. He saw a lot of deep parallels and similarities, and he came around to the idea that Ezekiel was describing like an early close encounter with aliens, and um, hence the book he wrote, The Spaceships of Ezekiel, which is a really good, you know, st sort of study of the, the whole story of Ezekiel. And... Um, now, of course, people who take the Bible literally are very often outraged at the idea of saying that, you know, it wasn't a, a God-related thing, you know, a deity-based mm -hmm. uh, issue, but it was actually extraterrestrials. Mm -hmm. You know, they get quite angry and mad about it, and that's why you often find that whenever, you know, you start bringing the ancient alien issue into religion, it creates, like, a lot of inflammatory conversation because people have a lot of sort of widely held and cherished belief systems and people don't like their right. belief systems upset and so you know but my view is that we need to look at every angle to try and figure out what went on and you know I don't have much time for belief systems without proof you know but I right. think I don't I don't I respect people's right to have a belief system but I think it's important to understand the difference between proof of something and believing in something, you know, we have to try and turn belief into proof, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, well... There's no doubt, you know, that what he talks about can... There's no doubt, regardless whether people agree with it or not, most people probably would agree that they could understand why it could be interpreted as an extraterrestrial encounter. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. Um, I'm a born-again Christian, and that's... Uh, uh, a verse or a uh, passage that I've read numerous times, and yeah, it, it does look like it could be something else other than what I think most Christians would consider a spiritual presence, you know. Um, but then, I mean, when you look at it, I guess there's, like I, we've been talking about, there's different ways to look at it, and back in that time, there's a possibility that he couldn't think of any better way to explain it. We don't really know what exactly he saw, but we know, uh, I guess, what symbolism he used to explain what he saw, if that makes sense, so... Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And you're right. It's um, you know, we're dealing with people who lived thousands and thousands of years ago and you know, we know that the Bible was rewritten from, you know, various languages, you know, there's um it wasn't written in English, you know. Right. Um, talk about people who lived in the Middle East and it's been, you know, translated several times, then into English, old English, then modern day English. Um so in that respect, 
Um, you know, it's difficult for us in the 21st century to understand fully the mindset of people of that era. And I think that's an important thing to remember, that they, they their thought processes were somewhat different to ours. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, you know, the, obviously the, the, the big sort of frustration with all these kind of stories is that they're so old, it's how do we actually prove one theory over the other, and, and that's the problem. It's, you know, we, we probably never really can, you know. Right. Well, one of the uh, accounts that you have in the book um, that both me and Eric have had numerous shows about is the the Roswell UFO incident. And, yeah. uh, you know, I have talked to um, Jesse Marcel Jr., so has Eric, uh, about his father's findings and all that. What all did you come across in, in your well, research? Yeah, I mean, Roswell's, without doubt, you know, the most famous UFO case of all time. And the reason why it's not just the most famous but potentially the most important is because probably more than any other case, it offers the potential for proving the extraterrestrial theory. That's to say, you know, if the craft, the wreckage was extraterrestrial, if the bodies were extraterrestrial, then clearly they would have been preserved and stored somewhere and probably would still be in storage to this day. Mm-hmm. You know, to what extent they would still be being investigated or studied, that's sort of a moot point. It might just be not a great deal of being learned about them and now they're sort of stored away in the equivalent of like a secret mausoleum or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why Roswell's important because if we could get our hands on the physical evidence, it could prove you know, the extraterrestrial case. So that's why, you know, so many people view it as sort of the, you know, the definitive case that we've got to solve. Um, but what I wanted to do with the chapter I had in the book, um, you know, you always try and give the readers something new. Uh, you don't just go over old ground. So what I did was to present for the reader, not just like an overview of Roswell, but certainly I summarized it, but also to look into the other theories, some very little-known theories that people put forward for Roswell, you know, alternative theories to the UFO crash angle. And um, one interesting one came from um, Jim Keith, who's a UFO researcher who died, not just a UFO researcher, but a conspiracy researcher who died in uh, 1998 under sort of mysterious uh, circumstances, controversial circumstances. Now, he said that he'd been contacted by a military old-timer who said that what crashed was actually like a a prototype early atomic bomb, uh, which fortunately didn't explode, and it was hidden behind a whole UFO banner. Now, people might sort of roll their eyes at that one, but a lot of people don't realize that the Roswell Army Air Base in the town of Roswell, was was at the time the only atomic bomb wing in the U.S. Um, the, for example, the 509th bomb wing based at Roswell, they were the people who bombed Japan with the atomic bombs on Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So, you know, the, the Roswell base itself isn't just famous having a link to the UFO crash. It was, you know, the only atomic bomb wing in, in 47 and 45, obviously, when, you know, the war came to an end with the... With the the bombs dropped on Japan. Right. So, you know, it did have the only linkage to the atomic bomb at that time. So that's why Jim Keith felt that story had some merit to it. Now, there are a lot of other theories. For example, um, the late Mac Tonis, who was very interested in the, the so-called crypto-terrestrial theory. Crypto-terrestrial theory being the idea that 
we're currently being visited not by extraterrestrials or interdimensional creatures, but by perhaps the last vestiges of some ancient human civilization that was highly advanced in the distant past and possibly moved underground thousands of years ago and that possibly even passes itself off as extraterrestrial as a means to camouflage what it really is, you know, and they surface from time to time. And Mac had this intriguing theory that what crashed at Roswell may have been the craft of these ancient crypto-terrestrials. And there's actually um, another researcher, an author named Walter Bosley, and uh, Walter... Um, he used to be in the, both the FBI and uh, also the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. And Walter's father had a, an intriguing job with the U.S. Air Force. It was basically revolved around sort of space, out-of-space medicine, the idea of how would the human body be affected by exposure to low gravity or no gravity, cosmic rays. And this was sort of back in the 50s and early 60s when we are still trying to understand how people would be affected by traveling in space. And Walter's father told him that he was briefed on Roswell and, and was told that the biggest shock of all for the Air Force was when they stumbled upon this wreckage and looked into it and found that it wasn't extraterrestrial, that they, were, they concluded it was some sort of uh, ancient human race that, you know, lived deep under the surface of the planet and very occasionally surface but for the most part kept themselves to themselves and of course you know it's a highly controversial theory it sounds like sci-fi but uh, right. there are snippets of stories along those lines then you've got sort of more down-to-earth things like um, early rocket tests with chimpanzees on board and things like that and um, a strange and controversial story surfaced from a woman named Annie Jacobson a couple of years ago in a book she wrote called Area 51, where she was told by an old-timer who worked at Area 51 that it was sort of uh, an experimental aircraft flown by the Russians um, with uh, handicapped children on board, and the idea was to try and convince the U.S., that there was like some sort of war of the world invasion going on, but it was a very, very bizarre and strange story. I don't really understand how, you know, that ruse would have worked, but, uh, but it demonstrates that there are a lot of different theories. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the theories haven't been sort of secretly put out there by whoever's hiding the truth of what really happened. You know, if you can't hide the truth, I mean, everybody's heard of Roswell, so the secret hasn't been kept. But, if you're not able to keep the secret to prevent the real truth coming out, you confuse it by presenting multiple scenarios and multiple, you know, versions of the truth to where people don't really know what the, the answer is. And I think that's what's probably happened. Somebody said, well, too many people are talking. We're not able to hide the truth. Let's just pump out, you know, 10, 15 other stories and we'll have, we'll have all the UFO community running around like headless chickens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> now, folks, you are listening to Parachute Radio. We are speaking with Nick Redfern. We are going to take just a moment to have a little break uh, and let you hear Justin's paranormal headlines. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back shortly. And now, Parachute Radio's paranormal headlines. <laughs> Hey, Parafans, Justin here with your Paranormal Headlines. 
UFO imitates moon in controversial video. Footage has emerged of what looks like the moon changing shape as it moves across the night sky. The video, which was filmed in a town in Russia, shows a group of teenagers in a car park gazing up at what initially appears to be the moon shining in the night sky above the buildings. As they continue to watch, however, the object suddenly begins to move, first rising up higher into the sky and then disappearing towards the right of the frame at considerable speed. The controversial footage, which is almost certainly a hoax using computer graphics, has been viewed nearly 150,000 times since being uploaded onto YouTube just over a week ago. Lion Elevator Restored in Rome's Colosseum The special mechanism used to hoist wild animals into the world-famous arena has now been rebuilt. In its heyday, the Colosseum would have been a sight to behold, the largest amphitheater ever built. This huge stone structure would have been frequently filled with the cheers of thousands of spectators as battle-hardened gladiators fought to the death in the arena below. Wild animals, such as lions, tigers, and bears, were also often introduced to keep things interesting, usually resulting in the human participants being mauled to death, much to the crowd's delight. These animals would be winched up from underneath using a series of special elevators that made it possible to introduce dozens of them into the arena at once in spectacular fashion. Now archaeologists and engineers have succeeded in reconstructing one of these animal elevators within the ruins of the actual Colosseum itself, using only materials that would have been available to the Romans at the time, a project that took 15 months to complete. It is believed that there were originally two dozen of these elevators inside the arena. This must have been an amazing spectacle, made even more amazing by the fact that it took eight men to operate each of the 24 lifts, plus two or three others to keep the ropes in check, said the Coliseum's archaeological director, Rosella Ria. And this has been Justin with your Paranormal Headlines. This was a segment of Parachute Radio's Paranormal Headlines. fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. What's up, folks? My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And you are listening to Parachute Radio. We are back and we are speaking with Nick Redfern, who wrote the book Secret Histories. Now, Nick, going back to Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant. Very interesting. I haven't heard this particular story before, but most supernatural elements that I see in the Bible 
are easily explained away as God. A spiritual, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent being. But you describe the Ark of the Covenant as something different, perhaps a weapon of some sort used by extraterrestrials. Well, yeah, there are a lot of different theories that have been put forward, you know, for the, the Ark of the Covenant and what it was and what it still might be. You know, one of the other theories is mm-hmm. it still, still exists, you know, it's hidden away somewhere. Right. And, um, and so, you know, you have a lot of different um, intriguing scenarios that have been put forward. One being the fact that there are these um, lasting stories about how the, the Ark of the Covenant had deadly powers. If you got too close to it, you know, people would drop down dead and things like this. And um, a number of researchers have tried to sort of reconcile that with modern-day technology. And, um, you know, I've actually wondered if the Ark was electrified, literally. You know, you get too close to it, you touch it. If you're not grounded, then, you know, the current's going to go right through you. Um, I mean, I'll give you one classic example, the uh, Nikola Tesla, you know, one of the most famous alternative um, scientists of all time. He was deeply interested in the story um, of the Ark of the Covenant. And I'll just read you a brief quote directly from what he said. He said, Moses was undoubtedly a practical and skillful electrician far in advance of his time. The Bible describes precisely and minutely arrangements constituting a machine in which electricity was generated by friction of air against silk curtains and stored in a box constructed like a condenser. It's very plausible to assume that the sons of Aaron were killed by a high-tension discharge. So, you know, um, that's one of the world's most sort of famous, albeit alternative, scientists looking into the Ark of the Covenant. And many of the stories sort of broadly follow that path that um, it was highly electrified. Now, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to bring um, extraterrestrials into the equation because, well, we have electricity, you know, it's not reliant on extraterrestrials. You know, we have a a history of of how um, electricity was developed. So it's not impossible that electricity did exist in the distant past. I mean, this theory is actually being put forward also for the, the pyramids. You know, the pyramids of Egypt, um, if you go in them today, you go to the lower levels, there's very detailed, uh, ornate paintings on the walls and carvings and things like that. You know, and the whole place is lit up. Well, if there's no illumination in there, you know, if it's all taken out, it's pitch black because, you know, you, you it's you're inside a stone building with no lighting. Right. So one of the one of the questions has been asked is how were the Egyptians able to do all the intricate painting that they did inside the pyramids? Um, you know, there's sort of no evidence of you know residual of smoke damage and things like that. So that's one of the theories that's been put forward there is that they may have had electricity, not necessarily even rudimentary, but quite advanced. Um, technologies um there are actually a number of weird pictures that seem to show um like the the egyptians operating well they're like generators you, you can find these pictures online they look like modern day generators um mm. in the pyramids so you know when it comes to a lot of these stories about ancient extraterrestrials you know we could actually be looking at not necessarily extraterrestrials but the development of technologies in the distant past that we assume 
we developed, you know, in the last few centuries, but that, that may not have been the case. Hmm. All right, Nick. Well, through all of these different conspiracy theories and uh, different uh, secret histories, if you were, because uh, one thing that I, I do truly believe is history is written by the victors. Uh, through all of these different uh, things that you researched, are there any that you completely buy into? Oh, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's quite a few of them. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I don't pretend to have the answers, you know, what happened at Roswell, but there's no mm -hmm. doubt that there's a conspiracy concerning Roswell. I mean, the official story has changed multiple times. I mean, if you look at the original Air Force statements of July 47, um, their first statement was, we found a flying disc. The next day, that was substituted for a weather balloon. Right. Then in 1994, the Air Force said it was what was called a mobile balloon, which was designed to monitor for early Soviet atomic bomb tests in the late 40s. Uh, but when the Mogul report came out, they said, well, Mogul balloons didn't have crews, so there weren't any bodies at the site, because there couldn't have been. Uh, but then in 97, they came out with another report saying there were bodies after all, but they were crash test dummies. So, you know, you have three um, theories for the craft, a flying disc, a weather balloon, and a Mogul balloon. Then you have a statement that there weren't any bodies. Then you have a statement that there were bodies, but they were dummies. So that's like five angles um so that's why i believe there's a conspiracy concerning roswell um i think we haven't got the full questions answered on for example like the robert kennedy assassination um the uh, martin luther king i think there are a lot of outstanding issues with those cases particularly in, re in regard to sort of so-called manchurian candidates and mind cr uh, control uh -huh. technologies and um yeah, so things like that. Um, and also, I mean, there's one chapter I have in the book on some very strange deaths in the uh, defense and intelligence communities over the years. Uh, two that stand out is one that was a wave of deaths of scientists and technicians in the UK, all working for the Marconi company. Um, and some of them contracted to do work on President Reagan's so-called Star Wars a strategic defense initiative program in the 80s and between 1982 and 1991 um, 31 technicians and scientists working for Marconi died under really weird circumstances like alleged suicides um, like, like killing themselves you know with carbon monoxide poisoning with through you know a hose pipe through the car window that kind of thing mm. um, others jumping off bridges electrocuting themselves just found dead as if they'd been mugged and this actually eerily parallels something that happened here in the US in between 2001 <coughs> and 2006 was when these cases were at the height although there's still a few cases get reported to this day but between 2001 and 2006 literally dozens of people in the US working in the field of microbiology that's the study of exotic viruses and diseases again died under weird circumstances sudden and out of the blue suicides like with the Marconi people in, the, in England jumping off bridges allegedly getting mugged and then it started to spread elsewhere um, where people in that same field were found dead in various other parts of the world including Russia, the UK, Australia and so I don't for one minute think all these deaths were just you know coincidence I think someone was taken out 
these scientists in these particular fields and disciplines and making it look like mugging, suicides, accidents or whatever. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, I think like, we have... There's a lot of cases like this where there's, you know, people say, oh, conspiracy theories is just a bunch of paranoia. But when you look into these, a lot of these cases carefully and rigorously, you really find that, wow, this isn't as clear-cut as it appears to be, you know. Right, right. And I think, uh, you know, Justin and I have talked about this many times, both on the show and just uh, together on our own, about uh, government cover-ups and military cover-ups and uh, what exactly is going on behind the scenes, especially when you think of Area 51 and uh, a number of other examples as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, I think for me, one of the important things that I always stress is that I think in many of these cases, it isn't actually sort of, quote, the government that's doing these kind of things. Mm -hmm. I mean, for example, I don't think the government as a body killed President Kennedy any more than I think, you know, the government was killing these Marconi scientists or the microbiologists. What I mm -hmm. think is that we have you know, various parts of the world, and possibly all interlinked, what we might call sort of shadow agencies or rogue bodies that are incredibly well funded, that are sort of black budget funded, that aren't answerable to Congress because Congress and possibly even the White House doesn't even know they exist. They're sort of like rogue agencies, rogue players who have tentacles and, you know, links all around the world, very powerful people who want to manipulate the planet and civilization according to their terms. And I think a lot of this is done by them. You know, I don't think it's by, like I said, the, the scientists, I don't think the CIA or the FBI, the NSA or anybody is bumping off these, you know, uh, microbiologists. Mm -hmm. But I think it's more likely to be like some sort of rogue group that operates outside of government, but in many respects may actually be able to wield more power in terms of its sort of subversive secret influence. And I think this is why so many conspiracy theories don't get solved, because people say, oh, it's the CIA, and they, they look at, you know, very black and white. Right. I don't think it is. I think it's far more um, secretive, and we need to sort of look at these events in an alternative fashion, the idea of, like, a shadow government being responsible, while the, the real government, as we understand it, you know, ironically, is probably very much totally innocent, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. I think uh, when it comes down to it, there needs to be a lot more research done to really, uh, you know, find out what's going on. I think people jump to a conclusion too quickly when they stick with that conclusion. On the other hand, let's say, for example, there is some kind of shadow agency. You would think that if they're, if they're pretty well funded and they can keep things wired pretty well, they'd be able to track down people who are starting to get close and possibly eliminate those people altogether. And so maybe it might be better off to stick with our initial conclusions instead of trying to get too deep into it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you, know, you bring up a good point there because there are a lot of conspiracy cases where some of the investigators have died under weird circumstances. I mean, a lot of people, not just investigators, people surrounding the Kennedy assassination, they were dropping like flies between like 63 and 66. Um, Again, like suicides, heart attacks, just vanishing, you know, car accidents, um, and, you know, various UFO cases, people died under unusual circumstances when they were looking into them, died early, vanished, and, um, 
when you look, what I try and do when I'm looking at conspiracies is to sort of look at the trends and parallels that run through many of these cases. And I think, for me, that's what lends credibility to, to some of them, because we see, we see a pattern as if there is some agency or a body that doesn't just commit the events, but then, from their perspective, tidies things up by getting rid of the loose ends as well. The loose ends being, mm -hmm. you know, people on the periphery who might know something. Uh, right. So, um, I think, and also that one of the big problems in resolving conspiracy theories is that at times the conspiracy research community hasn't done itself always the best service by, you know, coming out with statements that after a while are forced to be backtracked and, you know, are not presenting themselves too well sometimes before the media. And so unfortunately what happens is the media and the public have this image of anyone who investigates conspiracies that you sort of peeking through the blinds, you know, walking around with your tinfoil hat on, um, you, you know, checking under your car when you get in and make sure there's a bomb under there. You know, but that's the yeah. image that a lot of people have of people who look into conspiracy theories. But, uh, you know, the, the reality of the situation is that most people who look into these things do rigorously and dedicatedly do it. And right. you can understand for that reason that when they do so, if they get a little bit too close to the truth, then... Sometimes things do happen, you know. Right. Now, I think we have a little bit more time here for at least one more question. Uh, going back to uh, my biblical questions, Jonah and the whale. Now, to me, when I read that, I've read that story over and over and over. It's actually one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible. Uh, it, it seems pretty clear-cut to me that it's a whale. You know, when Jonah's in the ocean, a whale comes up, swallows him, he's in the belly. You, 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 in your book, you mentioned that there's a possibility or conspiracy that aliens were involved again, I believe. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the story of Joan is an interesting one because of, well, just an interesting, strange story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the I, I guess the one reason why it, it, it's controversial is the idea of surviving actually in a living creature's stomach for several mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that, I mean, the whole point about the stomach, and this goes with whales as well, is it's filled with stomach acid that digests food. You know, it's not like you're hiding out. You know, a whale's stomach isn't like a huge cave where you can sort of hold onto the side and just, you know, wait it out, so to speak. Right. Like our stomach, it, you get deposited in something's stomach, it starts to digest, you know. that. So that's the big issue that people who don't agree with the theory suggest, you know, that it's, how would you survive in, in an animal's stomach and not get digested, you mm -hmm. know? Right. Um, but the the interesting parallel, you know, that, um, that um, Jonah was in the belly of a whale, and of course, you know, like any sort of the stomach of any other animal is, is filled with fluid, you know, acid to, stomach acids to, uh, you know, to digest the food. And... One of the theories that's been put forward by a number of UFO researchers is the idea that Jonah could have been subjected to an alien abduction, and people would say, well, how would that explain, you know, the stomach legend and, you know, the fluids and all that kind of thing? Well, there are a number of cases on record where people claim to have been taken on UFOs, not necessarily for abduction scenarios, like a medical thing, but where they've been taken away, you know, and the craft has been flying. And in those cases, they've been reported, um, or the people have reported, being immersed in a kind of liquid, 
Um, and it's interesting that NASA has actually researched this, the idea of placing astronauts into like liquid, because when you're traveling in the atmosphere at least, not obviously out of space where there's no gravity, but when you travel in the atmosphere, that immersing people in liquids actually lessens the effect of G-forces. Now, of course, you know, anybody can experience G-forces to a degree. If you're in your car at the set of traffic lights and you accelerate away really fast, it throws you back into your seat. You know, you can feel it. Right. That's the effect. Now, you imagine people talk about UFOs doing right and left-hand turns at incredible speeds that G-forces then will sort of can knock somebody out, you know, make them faint, pass out because of the, the effects on the blood supply to the brain, etc. And this is one of the theories that, uh, or one of the reasons studies have been undertaken to show how people immersed in certain liquids can actually have a higher tolerance to, you know, gravitational pull and G-forces. So uh, mm -hmm. that's sort of the power that's been put forward with the story of, of Jonah. What if he was immersed in some sort of liquid in you know, a large UFO and and then the story developed from the, or a USO, like what are called underwater uh, or unidentified submersible objects. So, uh, but again, you know, um, we're going to, I think we're always going to be in this position of where somebody's going to take one approach and somebody will take the other approach because it's so old mm -hmm. that we'll never really, unfortunately, resolve it to everybody's satisfaction, you know. Right. Now, actually, going off of that real quick, based on all of this stuff, actually, why do you think people would rather take the approach of possibly aliens coming to Earth and abducting people or doing this or doing that, as opposed to believing that there is a God that's, you know, has supernatural abilities and capable of doing all of this on his own? Um, well, I think, you know, in sort of a, in a technologically advanced world, I think people tend to relate more to technology. You know, so they look at it from the perspective, well, we've gone to the moon, we've sent astronauts there, it makes, I guess, it, from a logical perspective, it makes them think, well, um, if we're going to do it, then someone else could do it, and, mm -hmm. uh, and maybe they have done it. I think it's sort of that black and white, and I think, I mean, obviously, you know, there are millions of Christians around right. on, the, on the planet, so, you know, it's not like those millions of Christians sort of question, you know, their faith or their belief systems, mm -hmm. but I think, you know, for people who aren't, or people who are unsure, the, it's a, there's a tendency to sort of mirror our technology, whatever it may have been, somebody else's technology. And I think, you know, no disrespect, from, from my perspective, you know, I, I'm not a particularly religious person, but I have no issues at all with people who are. You know, I'm not like, I don't poke fun at people who have a strong faith, because I think it's important for people, if they've got a strong faith, it's right that they should be proud of that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't feel it's, it's right to... To question that, my my issue that I have is that is in, it comes interpreting interpreting all of the stuff literally. You know, like the story of Noah's Ark. Um, you know, we're told it was like a six hundred foot long boat, mm -hmm. and yet how was it able to house two of every single animal on the planet? You know, right. the weight of two of every single living creatures. You know, and how would they have rounded up a ferocious? pair of tigers and lions and heard shepherds on board the boat and right. how would they be able to travel the planet in the time to go from Africa to South America to the North Pole to the South Pole to capture two of every single animal you know so so it's not the idea to me that there wasn't a flood I think there was there's good evidence of flood legends in the past and stuff like that but how would you literally 
go about, you know, filling up with two of every animal. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? No, I completely agree. And actually, to comment on that, it's pretty interesting. And this is just my view and what I've learned through uh, some of my research. The possibility for Noah's Ark is that instead of it being every single, two of every single animal on Earth, it's two of every single kind. So you would think maybe two timber wolves that had a recessive gene. And so as they produced, there were different species of dog that started to appear. And uh, that there's a possibility that God didn't bring two, you know, full-grown animals of every kind, but instead maybe they were all baby animals, all puppies, or all small cubs and stuff like that. And hence they'd be able to fit better on there and not have to worry about, you know, killing <laughs> Moses or no, I mean, or whoever, you know. But, yeah, I mean, you know, and this is why I think it's important we have debate, because I there think. are multiple scenarios for all of these events. Like the Ark of the Covenant, you know, you can interpret it as like a biblical, you know, a religious device, a supernatural device. Or mm -hmm. like Tesla, you can put a, um, you know, a scientific spin on it. And I think it's important we debate this, because it tells whatever the answer is, or the answers are, it's gonna. If we get them, it's gonna tell us more and more about our, our origins as a species, and that that's important. You know, right. that we do understand what we are and what our history really is. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And uh, that's that's one of the biggest things about our show too. Is I come from a, a completely different view than Eric. Yes, I do have Christian beliefs and a, a Christian, uh, somewhat of a Christian. Uh, view on some of the things we come across but for the most part his and I's differ greatly and that's what makes our show so different is we are debating from two different perspectives well that's good you know and I mean I think that's what the world the state the world's in now you know the, the problem we have is that religion provokes war at the mm -hmm. end of the day it should really if it's going to provoke anything it should be debate you know it shouldn't matter if one book says this and another one says that at the end of the day they all really have the same thing the idea that there's a creator and an afterlife right. you know all these different books basically come it comes down to that and if we could agree not to sort of have to bomb each other because we disagree then the world <laughs> would be a better place <laughs> even if we didn't all agree on the same scenario you know yeah, right. All right, um, we are getting close to the end, Nick, so I wanted to give you a chance again to tell everybody where they can find you, find your book, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, reach me at, you can reach me at Facebook. There's a few Nick Redferns that you'll, you'll find if you scroll down. Uh, Twitter, I have a blog called World of Whatever, which is uh, Nick Redfern Fortean, F-O-R-T-E-A-N, Nick Redfern Fortean, .blogspot.com. People want to chat or ask questions or want advice or want to share info, you know, I'm always happy to, to chat and, and, you know, talk with people, etc. All right, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we definitely had a, an amazing time talking to you, and hopefully we can get you on That's again soon. Oh, that sounds good, guys. Thanks a lot. And I'll make sure you both get copies of the Loch Ness book when it comes out next year. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be wonderful. Thank you. Sure, no problem at all. All right, have a good day. You too. Thanks, guys. See you later. See ya. Bye. Bye. All right, definitely very interesting, very thought-provoking for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, folks, again, that was uh, Nick Redfern on his book, Secret Histories. Um, you know, one thing that Justin and I, I think, we both agree on is we don't normally discuss uh, conspiracy theories on our show. It's just something that we don't normally do. Uh, but on occasion, 
such as today, <laughs> we do like to we do like to cover it. You know, we like to talk about it. Uh, talk about it. And I think the main reason is because there are a lot of conspira- conspiracy theorists that you know one hundred percent believe that their theory is truth, and they're not really willing to listen to everybody else's. And I'm not saying everyone is like that. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, you know, condemning anyone out there for having these theories. It's completely fine. Uh, but that's why we don't really talk about it much. So when we meet someone who's willing to discuss and even debate with us without getting hostile, you know, I think we're more than willing to discuss these things. And there are absolutely wonderful things that we discussions that we had tonight uh, with Nick. And uh, I think, for me personally, obviously it doesn't change my view on God and what he created and, you know, what's real and what's not and so on and so forth. But it does open my mind to all the other views, I guess, you know. And that's really important, I think, for not just our radio show, but I think just for life in general, you know, to really get to understand what everyone else believes. Because I think that helps us put us on somewhat of a similar page. And uh, that way when I hear views as such, you know, I can be like, you know, I can somewhat relate because I've heard the view. I understand the rebe- or that view. And, you know, I may or may not de- uh, agree with it, but you know, we, we all have our own uh, choices to make, you know? I agree. Um, one, one theory that uh, we didn't discuss and... Uh, one I should mention is we finally have figured out who Batman is. Oh, oh. Wait, did you, is this something you came across recently? Yeah, just listen. Okay. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. It's me, I'm Batman. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. I thought you were actually going to mention something. Uh, I believe it's in the UK in which a man is going around in a black mask, supposedly, and uh, stopping muggers from mugging people. And he's been known as, I can't remember exactly what they're calling him, the Bellium uh, Batman or something like that. Uh, there, I've seen a couple of different articles about that, yeah. actually. Oh, yeah. There's actually there's one in Washington as well. I believe in Seattle that there's one. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, like, <clears throat> you know what? It's time. He's a vigilante. Yeah. I've got my bow. I've been practicing like crazy. I know martial arts. <laughs> ready to go. Um, for anyone who who just heard me say that, if you say anything, I'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yeah. Go ahead. The, I mean, and that's just a two. You know, there's a million conspiracy theories out there. Just like in... I mean, Nick compiled... Tons and tons and tons of different conspiracy theories, uh, different, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, different theories in general about what different things are, different things in the Bible, different things uh, like the Roswell incident. Uh, one thing that we didn't cover that's in the book is the Twin Towers and the the uh, Pentagon being struck and that sort of thing. So there's so many different theories out there. Uh, it's just really getting down to the truth. Now, unfortunately, with conspiracy theories, there are so many of them, it's hard to... Ch- uh, shuffle through and find out the truth. Right, right. And if, before I go on, look, I just want to apologize to everyone because I know we had some technical difficulties or are currently having technical difficulties on this show, um, on this episode. And I just want to apologize first and foremost. This is something I should have done at the beginning, but we weren't aware of how much of a difficulty this tech stuff was going to give us. 
And of course, we don't know if it's literally our stuff, our equipment, or you know, it might be a conspiracy theory, but perhaps a spiritual <laughs> force of some sort that, um, that that's you know preventing us from having a good uh, audio. So again, I apologize. I don't know exactly what's going on. It sounds clear on my end. I'll listen to it later on, probably tomorrow or something, and just get an idea. But I assure you, well, as much as I can, because who knows, you know, what the spiritual world has in mind, but right. or our tech stuff. I assure you, though, we will do our best to make sure that the rest of our episodes, as they have as they have been previously, will continue to be good, solid sound. Um, now let's continue on a little bit. We, you know, that's a good thing about the show, Justin. We don't have to stop at in exactly an hour. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. It's great. We used to stop at an hour, and anything we had left on the plate got tossed in the trash. Yeah, uh, but now we can gobble it all up. Anyway, that that's by the way, that's basically my stomach talking because I'm starving right now. <laughs> so in other words, we have to wrap it up because you're hungry. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't have to wrap it up. Although I am missing the Cavs game, but it's okay. I've got that online right now. I'm scared to look at the score on the score at this moment. But anyway, so a theory. It's really interesting because there is a definition of a theory. I, I defined a conspiracy theory earlier, but the definition of a theory is a little different. And I have two here. The first one says, a set of statements or principles devised to explain a group or f- a group of facts or phenomena, especially one that has been repeatedly tested or is widely accepted and can be used to make predictions about natural phenomena. Now, with this particular uh, definition, I think that refers to a lot of our normal scientific uh, experiments, um, and I think that goes into... A number of different things. You can talk about, you know, cures for diseases and, you know, different illnesses and so on and so forth. But one that is really interesting that I came across, and these are both from uh, dictionary.com, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. There's so many dictionaries out there, folks. Yeah. Freedictionary.com, thedictionary.com, Webster's dictionary.com. I'm like, <laughs> something other than dictionary, just name it. <laughs> anyway. This is what I think goes a little wa- along uh, some of these conspiracy theories. Not all of them, but some of them. And it says, an assumption based on limited information or knowledge, a conjecture. And that, in of itself, a lot of people are going to disagree. I completely understand. If you do disagree, feel free to email us at paratruthradio at gmail.com. Um, but... With all these conspiracy theories, I just truly don't see 100% solid, solid proof uh, that, you know, any of this stuff could be aliens or, you know, secret governments or shadow agencies, so on and so forth. It's just all a big conspiracy, a theory. Uh, people are just throwing stuff out there. And, well, and wrong. you know what happens when you assume. What's that? You make an ass out of you and me. Ooh, <laughs> clever! That's that. That actually, I think that sums up very greatly because there are so many different theories out there, mm-hmm. and there are so limited uh, facts. I mean, there's three different stories, four different stories for just the Roswell UFO incident. So, right. yeah. And now, don't get me wrong. Before people, um, friends, family para fans, before you go and start sending me a bunch of emails as to why, I, you know, I think this way and why, you know, all these conspiracy theorists, there's not enough evidence to support this and that, I understand that there's not a ton of evidence to support God either. I'm aware of that. 
But I do, I do know of evidence, though. I know of archaeological evidence. I know prof prophetic ev evidence. I know of evidence that sh proves that there are different cities that truly did exist, uh, that King David truly did exist, that Jesus truly did exist. I, I do know these things, and I know it's not enough to convince the world necessarily that Jesus is alive and reigns in heaven as the one true king. I'm aware of that. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, oh, you, everyone else is wrong and I'm right. I aware that we're on a similar boat here. Two different boats, but they're in the same sea. same tide, same sea, same tide. Man, you guys know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, like we said, though, too, that's what makes our show so great. We come from two different thinking uh, backgrounds. Even though I do believe myself to be a Christian, and I do love reading the Bible and reading the the different uh, histories and stories in there, and you know, but a lot of things have, in my opinion, shown me different things that might be different than what the Bible is actually saying. But again, yes, we don't ever always agree on everything, but that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, until we do agree on something, then it's a great thing. <laughs> <laughs> yep, there it is. Anyway, <clears throat> of course, I do have some scripture here to 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 lay out on the table. Um, and Justin, of course, please feel free to comment uh, willingly. <clears throat> so Amos three seven says, "Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing His plan to His servants, the prophets." This is something that uh, I, I, there's a reason I chose this one. I know it doesn't necessarily sound like uh, th this goes along with conspiracy theories in our discussion today, but what it does tell us is, regardless of what the conspiracies are out there, regardless of twin towers, or regardless of you know the Illuminati thing, or you know regardless of whatever's going on, God has a plan, and He's already told us what that plan is through His prophets in His Bible. We know what happened in the beginning. We knew, or we know what was happening, you know, throughout the whole testament. We knew that Jesus was going to come. He did. That's been fulfilled. We knew he's going to die and come back again three days later. And we know, based on what God told us in the book of Revelation, what is going to happen. There will be a time where the world ends. And God lays it all out. Everything in between, honestly, doesn't really matter. Whatever God didn't put there, there's a reason. It's because it's not that important. But coming from my own personal stance, we can have these debates all day about, you know, what is a conspiracy theory? Or what are these conspiracy theories? And are they true or are they not? They may be. There may be some that are true. There may be some that are not true. And I love having those debates. I'm completely fine with that. But we just have to remember what the, you know, what's important. What, what is the stuff that's already happened? And we have proof that, you know, everything in the Bible has happened thus far. And what's going to happen? And I know not everyone's going to agree with me because they'll be like, well, that in and of itself is a conspiracy. That's fine. That's why That's why we have this paranormal radio show called Parachute. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts, Justin? What, what do you think about that? Anything? Uh, um, well, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward. God told us what was going to happen. Um, do, I, do I think that it could have been misinterpreted. Sure, I, I believe a lot of the the Bible could have been either misinterpreted through the different languages, uh, through the the prophets not maybe understanding God's 
in, intention as far as what he was saying or what he was showing them through vision or anything like that. I believe that mm-hmm. there's a the hu- human error factor to me is huge. Do I, does that mean I don't believe things in the Bible? No, I believe a lot of the things in the Bible, but I always come back to maybe somebody lost it in in translation somewhere. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> uh, Exodus 23.1 says, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Um, this is something that the reason it, that I that I chose this particular passage is because we have to be careful of what we discuss and what we claim to be true. If we're out to make a dime, which many people are, in fact, many episodes ago, Justin and I discussed Bigfoot, Yeti, Sasquatch, and there have been people who have created fake Sasquatch bodies yep. only to become famous and make money off of it. Mm. Sasquatch in and of itself is a conspiracy theory. We don't know if he truly exists. We don't know if he, if he does or doesn't, you know? But people are out to be malicious, to, to just make money off of people. And it's true, you know? And I think we just have to be very careful regardless. And you don't have to be a Christian to, to follow this particular uh, command by God. But it's important that we are very careful of what we are spreading around the world. If there's any possibility that something is false and it's something that can hurt other people or it's something that you're just trying to make money off of or someone else is trying to make money off of, it's something you want to stay away, stay away from. Because in the end, that kind of thing, if it is false, will ruin your credentials. And then no one will take you seriously anymore. And that's why I think Justin and I, and that's why I know Justin and I, have these debates and discuss, you know, this and that. And we always, before the show, we discuss, you know, is this a good topic that we should talk about or is this a good guest we should talk about? And we, we debate, you know, is this something that can ruin us in the end, later on, down the road? Who knows? You know, can it backfire? Can it do this? Can it do that? It's just something you got to keep that in mind. Well, and as you said, it's good to have different views and that's why we get a lot of the guests that we get on here. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's going to be contradictory to what we're trying to put out there, then it, it's we we have to question it. Uh, as the that particular passage says, I mean, you, we don't want false truths out there, or even the wrong truths out there. Mm-hmm. We're, it's, we're called para truth for a reason. We're bringing out the truth. If that truth is true or false, that's up to us to find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, to go along with that ex- the last passage, Matthew fifteen nineteen says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. Again, I'm not going to elaborate too much on this one because it's just like we just talked about. The heart is evil. What we do every day is evil. Um, and obviously, helping somebody out, you know, giving money to the homeless. Those aren't evil things. But in general, we often go and do evil things. We have evil thoughts, you know. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this one. That's that's why I'm kind of, I'm kind of like pausing here and there because I'm thinking, well, a lot of people right now are probably going, I'm not not evil. I'm not, I'm not. But yeah, I'm coming from a Christian standpoint. The Bible tells us we are all evil. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God according to the book of Romans. 
Um, one thing that I do believe is that we don't intentionally try to be evil. We do have both good and bad in us, and a lot of times we do things that we think are good, and they end up not being good. Mm-hmm. But well, I, you know, and I, I could I could agree with you on that because I, I think many people out there don't intentionally plan on being evil. You know, we didn't plan to be born evil, but the Bible says the moment we are born, we are evil. And that's due to Adam and Eve sinning. Once they sinned, that sin was passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation to generation. And it's just something we can't control. It's natural for us. We are, it's our default. Sin is our default. Evil is our default. Uh, But the good thing is that God, the Lord Jesus, forgave us of our sins the moment that he died and rose again and he gives us the ability regardless of what we've done in the past regardless of what we do now or what might be done in the future he forgives us and once we truly believe in him and have a relationship with him there's virtually nothing at all that we can do that'll ever break that trust that love that grace that mercy that'll bring us into heaven through christ alone all right Uh, was there any other scripture that you had Last two. This one's really interesting because this is actually regarding conspiracy. God, numerous times throughout the Bible, does talk about conspiracy. This one, Isaiah 8, 12-13 says, Do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. All of these are lining up, folks. All of them line up. Um, just be careful what is conspiracy because... You know, what is a conspiracy? Is it necessarily a conspiracy? There are lies out there. That's what the devil does. He is the prince of lies, the king of lies. First uh, Thessalonians 5.21, which is the last one, something that we've already said now, we've said numerous times in the past, test everything and hold on to what is good. If you're not sure about something, test it. If those tests come back negative and they seem to be okay, truly, hold on to that. If, 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 you're, if you're confident about that, you know. Um, but if there's anything that seems sketchy, anything that seems false, got to walk away. Got to let it go. Uh, but yeah, that's all I got, homie. So, buddy, my friend, my cousin, my co-host, <laughs> it's been a long episode. Well, uh, one thing that I do have to bring up is Heidi did say that she was waiting for that last bit of scripture so good mm. job <laughs> Heidi thank you for tuning in every week it's awesome one thing I do have to say is Eric is always over all over the scripture to go along with the, the topic that we're talking about because obviously coming from a Christian perspective he has to apply scripture mm-hmm. to the different mm-hmm. things we talk about yeah but uh, I think you know with that all being said you know, not, not to cut everyone off here, but uh, I, th- I think that's about the end of the show, right, Justin? I do believe so. Uh, I do have to, once again, say happy birthday to Paratruth Radio. Happy birthday to you. Happy, happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Paratruth Radio. Sorry. Happy birthday to <laughs> well, <laughs> it's really difficult to see 
that song over the mic because I can't do like when I start singing, you start slowing down. <laughs> and I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Just okay. Anyway, <laughs> folks, if you have any questions about this episode, if you'd like to contact us, you'd like to contact Nick Redfern for anything. If you didn't get all of his information, uh, feel free to email us. Again, if you have questions, if you have uh, your own opinion that you'd like to view or express, I mean towards us, uh, whether it's me or Justin or both of us together. Uh, Preferably towards Eric. <laughs> I'll take it. Bring it. I'll see. I'll, I'll see. You know, uh, seriously, we will respond to all of your messages, so feel free to email us. And if you have any ideas for upcoming shows, topics you'd like us to cover, topics you'd like us to debate, people you'd like to have, have us have on the show that you'd like to hear from, again, put that in the email. It's at parachutesradio at gmail.com. We will get back to you probably within a day or two, honestly. Um, Usually I'm all over it, and I will get yeah. back to you that same day. Yeah, so feel free. Comment. Comments. Questions. You name it. We're ready for it. We're hoping for it. So, yeah. All right. And um, one thing that I did, did want to bring up, uh, next week we will be talking to Benjamin Radford about his book, tracking the chupacabra uh it's one that eric and i have already gone over once by ourselves uh so it'll be very interesting to get the information that uh benjamin has come across through his research yeah i'm looking forward to that one that'll be fun we, we love the uh cryptid uh radio shows the kind of conversations that we have just because there's so many different, just like the the whole conspiracy theories, there's so many different theories out there, what these things are and all that. It's yeah. it's interesting to get everybody's stories and perspectives on it. Yeah. All right, folks, that is all we've got for you tonight. And uh, join us next week, same time, same channel, right here at Paratruth. God, I can't even say it. Paratruthradio.com, as well as Spreaker.com, as well as the other different listening uh, apps and whatnot that we are on as well. So on that note, my name's Justin. And I'm Eric. And we will talk to you guys next week. Peace. If you enjoyed this episode of Parachute Radio and you would like to listen to it again or are interested in listening to any of our past episodes, then you can listen to them on HD at our website, parachuthradio.com. And you can also find us at Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, iTunes, Spreaker, and YouTube. And of course, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for brand new updates of our show every day.
History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Thank you.